Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. I feel the Lord has given me to share tonight comes out of John, the fifth chapter. And so if you go ahead and turn there, we're going to look at the first 14 verses of, of that book. And it's st- a story that most everyone, if not all of you, are familiar with if you've been in church at any time at all. And it's a story about the man at the pool of Bethesda. And as I go through this tonight, I hope I'm going to draw out some, some new revelation and, and some insight that maybe we haven't thought about before. And, and more importantly, as we go through this tonight, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will come and, and bring some freedom to people that may be struggling with certain things. And um, that the Holy Spirit, as we get into later, will, will heal some old wounds um, and bring a, a wholeness and a, and a joy back into your life. And so that's my, my hope tonight. And so let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, I thank you, God, for your word. I thank you for the truth that your word holds and brings to us. I thank you for the strength that your word gives us. And I ask tonight, Holy Spirit, that you would speak through me, that you would bring truth and fresh revelation as we go through the scripture. God, that truly that there would be a, a healing that there'd be a freedom that would come because of your word, Lord, and because mostly because of your love. And so, God, we invite you now, and just, God, just be my words, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, John 5. Um, as we go through these first 14 verses, we're going to discover this interaction that takes place between this lame man and Jesus at the pool of Bethesda. And we should be all pretty familiar with that story. But in this brief moment, in this brief exchange that's happening between Jesus and this man, suddenly this man's life is turned upside down. It's suddenly changed because of this encounter with Jesus. Now, the story, just to give you a little bit of background, it takes place during the Jewish feast. The Bible isn't really clear of, of which feast that it was, Feast of Tabernacles. And... The reason it was had to be one of those three is because that was the three that people, the Jewish believers, had to uh, come into Jerusalem to, to celebrate. Those three feasts, they had to come in and go to the temple and, and celebrate these particular feasts. So anyway, it's believed to be one of those three. So just as kind of a backstory, if you go to the previous chapter, Jesus had just uh, been in Cana at Galilee. And he was walking toward Jerusalem, and this man came and met him. He was uh, a government official, came and met him on the road, and, and came up to Jesus and said, and said, my son is dying. Come with me. Come home with me and, and heal my son. And if you kind of remember that story, Jesus kind of said something a little strange. He says, must you guys see a miracle before you're going to believe? But then Jesus turned to the man and said, go home. Your son is healed. And so the man turns back, goes back home, and on the way home, he meets two servants of his, and the servants say, Master, your son is healed. And the man turns to the servants and said, well, when did this take place? And they told him when, and he realized at that moment, that was the exact moment that Jesus said, your son is healed. 
So that's taken place before this. Now Jesus is walking into Jerusalem to celebrate one of these feasts. And the Bible tells us here, the scripture tells us that he walks through the sheep gate. Now the sheep gate is kind of important because the sheep gate is where they would bring the sacrificial sheep down from the hill um, and they'd bring them down in through the sheep gate where they'd be ceremonially washed and cleansed. And then they'd be taken to the temple to be sacrificed. Ah, poor sheep, right? You know, they get a nice bath and then we're gonna go cut your throat. <laughs> okay, not very, not very nice for the sheep. But that's what this temple or the sheep gate was all about. And I, as I was studying this, I just realized, wait a minute, this is the sheep gate. The sacrificial sheep are being brought to the temple and this is the gate Jesus decides to walk through, our sacrificial lamb. Awesome, you know? And so Jesus walks in, and was, now let's begin reading John 5. This is the first three verses. So sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. And here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. I'm gonna stop there for a minute, and, and I, again, I'm gonna give you some backstory and some historical overview to kind of lead up to what I wanna to share tonight. Now, so just inside the sheep gate, there's this large pool, and it was quite large, they, they discovered recently, and it actually was two pools, it was separated into two. And then tiered up from these pools, if you can picture this, are these colonnades, or basically there's wide steps that are just tiered up from the pool and they're covered to shade from the sun and, and the elements and so forth. And on these steps, there's laying these blind people, the lame, the paralyzed, um, and they're all gathered here. They're all laying here in hopes of receiving a miracle, of, of being healed. And so the belief was that at certain times, this water was going to be stirred. And nobody knew when, they, there wasn't a set time or anything. They just had to wait for something to happen in the water. And then they, would believe, then they believed that if they could just be the first one into the water, that a miracle would happen and they'd, they'd be healed. Now, listen to this. In some translations where it says that the water was stirred, it says it was stirred by an angel. But it's interesting to note that in most of the recent and more reliable manuscripts of the Bible, that detail about the angel is completely left out. There was no angel. It's really believed that that was added much later. And uh, because the, I, th I think whoever had added this maybe just had to come up with some reason why this water was be, being stirred. And actually in some manuscripts or some Bibles, it actually goes from verse three to verse five. That verse four isn't even in there, it's taken out. It's just, uh, it's pretty interesting. So anyway, these pools were fed by these natural underground springs. It's kind of like being in a hot spring, okay? That, and sometimes they would bubble up or they would, what I like to say, they would burp, you know, they go bloop. And, and that's what these, these people would wait for. It said, oh, okay, there's, there's the angel or whatever it is. We gotta get in now so we can be healed. But if you think about a hot springs pool, there's, that's just kind of a natural occurrence where this underground stream comes in and just feeds the pool, right? And if you've ever been in a hot springs pool, you know that, that that's the way these things are fed. Um, Paul and I used to go up to uh, Buena Vista and, 
Mount Princeton, and they have a nice hot springs pool there. But besides that pool, you can actually go down to the river. And you have this cold river coming down, down the mountain, but you can sit in the gravel and kind of work your way in, and this hot water, this actually it'll burn you, starts to ooze and starts to bubble up through, through the sand there. If you've never done it, it it's, it's awesome. You need to go do that. And, uh, but wear some thick uh, swim, <laughs> swim trunks. But, uh, but anyway, that's kind of the idea, okay? Uh, is this pool would just, was just bubble up naturally. And biblical scholars also like to point out that the name of this pool is Bethesda, which in Hebrew means, uh, it means house of mercy, okay? It means house of mercy. But the belief was in this pool's healing power wasn't any, had anything to do with the God that we know. It comes from a long-held pagan belief and a pagan tradition that's built around a myth that had nothing to do with God's mercy. Okay, I'm going to show you this in, in history here a little, in a minute. So this pool was originally part of the, what was called the Hellenization of Judea, which was the Greek influence. And it goes all the way back to Alexander the Great. Okay, so the Greeks had influence in this area. And this pool was originally located right next door to a pagan temple. And so the practice of getting into this water was actually adapted originally from a pagan practice and uh, a pagan ritual. And so the Greeks that actually started this practice and built these porches around the pool was actually a religious cult that was built around the worship of a Greek god named Asclepius. Anybody ever heard that name? No. <laughs> so the, and these pools to the Greeks were known as Asclepions or healing centers. Okay, now let me tell you a little bit about Asclepius. Quite interesting. In the ancient Greek mythology, he was a Greek hero and the god of medicine. Okay, he was the son of the god Apollo and his wife Coronis. Now, Asclepius represents the healing aspect of the medical arts to, to the Greeks. Now, Asclepius had five daughters. Listen to their names. Daughter number one was Hygieia, if I can pronounce these right. I'm not sure I am, but it's Hygieia. We get our word hygiene from that. Another daughter was Lasso. She was the goddess of recuperation from illness. Third daughter was Asesso. She was the goddess of the healing process. The fourth daughter was Aegel, um, A-E-G-L-E. She was the goddess of good health. The fifth daughter, her name was Panacea. Where have we heard that name before? She was the goddess of universal remedy. And it's also interesting as I was studying a little bit more about the history, the original Hippocratic Oath started with, I swear by Apollo the healer and by Asclepius and Hygiena and Panacea and all the other gods. That was the original Hippocratic Oath. Now it's changed obviously over time. So at these pools, the, uh, the ill, the disabled would, would all come together and congregate and they would sleep on these mats that were laid out on these porches. And the belief was in the Greek again, 
from the Greek culture was that serpent spirits were the ones that were swimming in the pools and they were the ones that would stir the water, okay? They would swim through the water, they would stir it up and if you could be the first one in, then you sick people, the lame people, and they'd take them to that Greek temple that was next door and they would lay them in, in the room at night, turn off, you know, kill all the lamps and everything and they would release non-venomous snakes into the room that would crawl over them. And the belief was that as these snakes crawled over you, they would release dreams and visions. And then if you got a dream and vision, you'd have to go to one of the, the priests and tell them what the dream was, and then they'd pray whatever that was, and hopefully they believed that they would be healed. Pretty silly. Anyway, <laughs> that's what they believed. Now, evidently, this particular cult practice carried over a little bit and was still being practiced by many of the supersti superstitious Jews in Jesus' time. Now, let me bring out one other point of history that was just fascinating to me and a little scary. <laughs> but in Greek mythology, there was what was called the Rod of Asclepius. Remember who Asclepius was? Son of Apollo, god of medicine, right? And what that Rod of Asclepius was was a, a serpent-entwined rod. Okay, where have we seen that before? You have that first slide? Where have we seen that before? It's a symbol of modern medicine, isn't it? Okay, watch this. The rod of Asclepius, which is a pagan symbol, is also used for the WHO, the World Health Organization, and it's their symbol. The rod of Asclepius. That's why I wanted to share some of this history with you. This puts a little question mark in your, in your mind. So anyway, you can do with that what you want. I just thought it was pretty cool, <laughs> pretty interesting. So anyway, the people attribute these natural springs to, to healing spirits, and uh, they'd lay around these pools. They'd even be chanting sometimes. They'd be waiting for this water to be stirred, believing that, that whenever that was stirred, it would be the best time for a miracle to happen. So I want you to do this. Take a minute and just kind of picture this place we're talking about, okay? It's, it's a place, these pools, this location is based on a pagan ritual, okay? It's based on the worship of Greek gods. There's people laying around chanting and, and calling on healing spirits. And Jesus walks right into the middle of it. You know, like in my mind, I'm going, what are you doing there? <laughs> Why do you want to go into that place? Man, it's dark. It's spiritually dark. It's, you know, it's like, Jesus, go to the temple. <laughs> Don't hang out in this place. But the fact that Jesus walked into the middle of this place, into this spiritually dark place, should actually be encouraging to us. And here's why. Because I believe that Jesus was making the claim that he was a true source of healing, okay? And that he, and he alone, was a source of living water, not these pools, amen? And I think in a way, Jesus was saying, you know, since you can't get to the water, I'm gonna bring the water to you, okay? And also, it shows us that Jesus is willing to meet us wherever we are. It doesn't matter how dark it is, it doesn't matter how sinful it is. 
Jesus is willing to step in to that environment to rescue us. Now, we don't have to be holy. We don't have to be sinless. We don't have to be whole for Jesus to want to come and meet us right where we're at. Because Jesus will step into our circumstances, no matter what they are, no matter how dark they are, no matter how far from God we may feel or how far away we think he is, Jesus will meet us at that very, very point. Okay? And my point is this. No matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we might be going through at the moment, no matter how dark life seems, and no matter what battle we might be facing at the time, Jesus is willing to meet you there. He's willing to step right into our life, right into that situation, because he loves us. That's how much he loves us. And if you look at the story, it's a perfect picture of Jesus, isn't it? The son of God who stepped out of heaven and, and stepped into a broken world that was full of darkness, right? And who steps in this world who, and, because he loves a broken people just the way that they are. And he came to set us free. 1 Peter 2.9 says we've been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's why he came, to call us all out of darkness. And that's exactly what Jesus is about to do to this broken man. Let's look at verses 5 and 6. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Well, that seems like a pretty obvious question, doesn't it? Guy's been lame for 38 years, and Jesus is saying, do you want to get well? And, you know, what's the guy going to say, right? No, Jesus, I just thought I'd lay around the pool, check out the babes, you know, let everybody else get healed. You know, I'm, I'm good, you know. Well, no, of course he's not going to say that. But I think this question that Jesus asked him is a really honest question, okay? Because here's why. You can't help somebody who doesn't want to be helped, can you? You know people like that? You've done everything you can to try to help them, and they just say, uh-uh, I don't want the help. You know, or you can't help people who aren't ready to give up on their own human efforts in order to solve their problems. People that aren't willing to trust God to move on their behalf. You can't help someone that isn't ready to admit that they can't make it on their own, that they don't have the strength, and that they need help. Now in ministry, there's two kinds of people that we, we encounter, and, or all of us, people that, w that we know. Um, and, and there are people like this. Number one, those who say that they want to get well, they want to change, they want to break addictions, but they really don't want to make the effort in order to do it. They don't want to take that first step. And number two, we run into those who really do want to get well. They want to change their life, but they just don't know how. 
They don't have their own strength. And, and they're admitting, yeah, I need help. I'm crying out for help. Somebody help me. This man was crying out, I have no one to take me into the pool. And we'll see that here in a minute. So I think Jesus is not only asking this man, do you want to get well? I think he's asking this man, are you ready to make a change? Are you ready to do something that's going to change your life? And I think Jesus is still asking that question. You know, I think to this man again, are you ready to walk away from the things that have held you captive for so long? Or do you just want to stay the way you are? See, Jesus is asking all of us today, you know, do we want to be free from our sin? Do you want to be free from your addiction? Do you want to be free from the lifestyle that you're caught up in? Do you want to be free from your pain? Do you want to be free from your disappointment? Do you want to be free from the chains of your past? Do you want to get well? And how you answer that question is important. Would you agree? Look at verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. In other words, I think this man is saying, yeah, I want to be healed, but I can't. I've tried. I've done everything I know how to do, but there's no one to help me. So look at what Jesus says to the man in the next verse. Get up. Pick up your mat and walk. Now wait a minute. This guy's been crippled for 38 years. He's crying out for help. And the first thing Jesus says is get up. Why not get up? Well, there's an old saying, if we're old enough, remember you can't steer a parked car. You ever heard that one? It's true. You haven't heard that one? Really? Well, okay, park car, it's logic, okay? <laughs> it's easier to steer when it's moving, right? You know, you if it's just sitting there, you go, ah, you know, but once it starts moving, it kind of turns easy, okay? It, it's kind of like the picture I get. It's about obedience, okay? Obedience often starts with us taking that first step, saying yes to God. And when we do, God gives us the strength to take the next step, and then the next step. And then the next step, and before long, we're walking. Obedience is the key that releases the flow of God's spirit and power into our life. I'm going to say that again. Obedience is the key that releases the flow of God's spirit and power into our life. Now, see, I don't know if this man felt anything or not when this happened. All I know is that his obedience to Jesus' command poured strength into his bones, poured strength into his muscles, and suddenly he could stand. The presence of Jesus always gives us the power to rise above whatever situation we find ourselves in. The power of Jesus, the presence of God, allows us to walk into the life and the purpose that God has called us into, each one of us. Now here's a question. Why did Jesus even ask this man to pick up his mat? First he said, get up, then he said, pick up your mat. Why, you ever thought about that? 
What was the importance of picking up his mat? I mean, you know, I would have said, man, leave that stinky thing behind. Man, there's all kinds of crud and crawlies, and, you know, you've been laying on it for 38 years, and, I mean, who knows where that thing's been, right? <laughs> okay? But Jesus made this issue, pick up your mat. Yeah, it's been part of your life forever, you know? It was something we would say, but Jesus specifically tells him to carry it with him. Why? Well, here's the lesson I think Scripture is trying to teach us in this, that the mat represents who the man was before his moment with Jesus. Jesus wanted this mat to be a reminder to this man of just what he had been delivered from. Jesus was telling the man that you have this reminder now that's tucked under your arm. So let it remind you of where you've been and what God has done for you. That makes sense? See, your past isn't a reflection of what you've done. It's a reflection of what God's done and what he's brought you from. And our past should always serve as a testimony to the goodness of God's love. And then I kind of came up with this saying, I think I came up with it anyway, <laughs> but Jesus doesn't change the past. He changes our future. Jesus doesn't change our past. He changes our future. Now sometimes, if we've been hurt enough or we've done things that we treat our past like an old, ugly scar that we don't want anybody to see, don't we? We try to hide it away. We don't want to mention it. We, we just pretend that it's not even there. But you know what? Scars are just a sign of an old hurt or wound that's been healed. And you know, scar tissue, when it's formed, is actually stronger than the original skin. And even in, in most severe cases, over time, that scar will slowly fade, won't it? And so in the same way, the scars that we can carry sometimes from our past, and we all have them. We all have them. But whether they're emotional, physical, mental, spiritual star, scars, all of those things should serve as a testimony of an old wound that God has healed. See, when we confess our need for Jesus, he takes this salve that's called forgiveness and he rubs it in his hands and he applies it to the wounds in our life that brings healing, that brings salvation, that brings wholeness. I found this quote from a lady I actually I've never heard of, but it really brings this home. Her name is Barbara Hitching, and it's a, she had a blog, and I just somehow, <laughs> God's grace, stumbled into it. But it says this, Yeshua is with you in your pain, in your fear, in your loneliness, and in your shame. He'll never leave or forsake you. He beckons you to come to him, for he is the healer of the broken heart. 
So let him anoint your wounds with the sweet oil of his love, healing you of your past, of your iniquities, of your deep wounds. And in this way, your scars will become your testimony to his precious saving grace at work in your life as he sets you free from the bondage of your past. Old scars, those old wounds, tell a story of a life that's been transformed by Jesus. Those old wounds are the mat that we carry to remind us what God has done. Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. Now verse 9, at once or instantly the man was cured, and he did. He picked up his mat and he walked. So here's this man, he stood up, when it made no sense to stand up, he walked when no one else believed he could but Jesus. But the fact was that he was in the presence of Jesus, and that gave him the courage to just stand up and at least try. That's what the presence of God does. Gives us the courage and the strength to try something that maybe we thought was impossible. He put his faith into action. And by obeying Jesus' command to get up, everything in his life changed for the better. He was healed, and he was made whole, right? Now imagine what this man was going through when this happened. He stands up after 38 years. You know, he's got strength in his legs. He's standing up. He's got his mat. Everybody's in awe. And, I mean, what a celebration this must have been, right? The joy and the, and the excitement that must have been pouring through this, this, this man's heart and, and his life and just ecstatic, something that he, he didn't believe would ever be possible was now possible. And so after 38 years, he stands up and, and this one moment with Jesus changed his whole life. And so, I mean, imagine those emotions if it was you, right? You know, after 38 years, I'm walking, I'm, I'm standing, I mean, me, I mean, because I'm old enough, I'd be discoing down those steps, staying alive, staying, you know, <laughs> you can tell by the way, I, you know what, anyway, anyway, <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, what, wouldn't you be that excited? Yeah. I would. Now, in some translations, it says, after it says that, uh, and once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and walked, the very next word in some translation is, but. But, now wait a minute, verse 9, but, this happened on a Sabbath, uh-oh, <laughs> verse 10, so the Jewish leaders objected, and they said to the man who is cured, you can't work on the Sabbath, the law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat, now wait a minute, Here's, you know, legs that haven't stood in almost, what, 40 years? He's dancing in the town, carrying in his mat. Everybody's, this crowd's probably following him. He's met by the Pharisees, and all they have to say is, how dare you? They totally ignored the miracle that had just taken place. So, the, now here's the question that came to my mind. Did Jesus forget it was the Sabbath? Did, he, did Jesus happen to forget what day it was? I don't, I don't think so, <laughs> right? 
Now, you know, in three of the gospel accounts, Jesus declares that he is Lord of the Sabbath and that he has authority over the rules and the regulations that govern the Sabbath day. And I believe this was the beginning of him demonstrating it right here. Now look at verse 11 through 13. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? Well, the man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. I think with all the commotion of this man being healed and everybody probably surrounding him, Jesus just kind of walked off and away he goes. Now look at verse 14. Later, Jesus found him in the temple. And that jumped off the page to me. Jesus found him. What an incredible statement. You know, I think Dave says it around here. Um, we don't find him. Jesus finds us. Right? Here's a perfect example. Jesus found him. Now, the man, according to, to the, the rituals, he had to go to the temple because he'd been healed and he had to present himself to the priests. And so Jesus probably knew that that's where he was, he was headed. But Jesus decided to make his way through the crowd and meet him at the temple. And the point is, Jesus knows exactly where we are in our walk. We can't hide from him. We can't get away from him. He knows just where to find us. He knows just where we are in our walk with him. And he knows where we are when we're hurting, when we're alone, when we're afraid. We're never out of his sight, guys. There's that part of a song, his eyes on a sparrow. We're the sparrow. And his eye never leaves us. Look at Psalm 139, this is seven through eight. It says, where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. So, in verse 14, Jesus is saying to, to him now, see, you are well again. So stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Stop sinning or something worse may, be hap may happen to you. Now, I believe Jesus was just reminding this man that, hey, there's worse things than being crippled. You may not believe it, but there's worse things like, like eternal judgment, for instance, right? He's saying to this man, don't let sin destroy your life. You know, there's a saying, too, that you know, we haven't been delivered from something. We've been delivered to something. And that's what this man was, uh, that's what Jesus was saying to the man. Hey, dude, you're free. So stay that way. Now, this encounter with Jesus gave this lame man a second chance, didn't it? It gave him a second chance to turn his life around, to start making good decisions. It gave him the opportunity to, to repent and stop sinning. Evidently, there was some sin in his life outside of being crippled. There was evidently some sin that, that Jesus was pointing out to him. But the choice was his now. What was he going to do with his freedom? What was he going to do with the healing that Jesus had given him? Now, his choice was this. He could either choose to live in the old story of his life 
or choose to live in this new life story that Jesus was now offering him. And here's the point of my whole message tonight. One moment with Jesus can change everything. One moment with Jesus can change everything. Now, this man probably didn't have any idea who Jesus was. All he knew is that this man told him to stand, take up his mat, and walk, and he did. This one singular moment in the presence of Jesus changed everything for this man, and it can do the same for us. It can set us all on a new course that without Jesus would be impossible, just like it was for this man. One moment with Jesus can take away our fears. It can take away our anxiety. It can give us hope for the future. Now, I don't know, you know, where everybody's at tonight. I don't know what battles you might be facing. I don't know what temptations you might be struggling with. I don't, maybe there's a sense of hopelessness you might feel because of where the world's going or whatever. I don't know what situation you find yourself in tonight. But I do know this, one moment with Jesus can change everything. Now, when I was, before I was saved, I uh, had a lot of people, good friends that loved me and were witnessing to me, sharing their testimony with me and said, Tim, man, you got to receive, receive the Lord, man. He'll just change your life. And so I kind of took it and went, yeah, yeah, right, you know, <coughs> excuse me. And um, I, I came out to Colorado on, on vacation, and, and I was up skiing somewhere in like Breckenridge or Vail or somewhere like that. And I had started down the mountain, and all of a sudden, the, those words started pouring back into my heart. You've got to receive Jesus. You've got to believe in the Lord. He'll change your life. And I remember stopping on that mountain and, and just stopped my place, and, and just tears started flowing from my face from my eyes and, and I looked around and was just caught up in this all of a sudden I saw the majesty of, of, of God's creation and the weird thing was this was, a, this was like ski season and nobody was going by me it was like the world stopped and it was just like me and Jesus and I remember the prayer that came out of my mouth I said, I said Lord I don't want to believe in you because somebody's telling me to I want to believe in you because I know it's real and I got down the mountain, and I, I don't know the time frame, it was a few weeks, month, or whatever, I moved into an apartment, and right outside my bedroom window was a cross that lit up every night and shone into my window. It was Lookout Mountain in, in Denver, in Lakewood. And that, that cross was out my window every night. And then my neighbor comes over and invites me to go to church with him, just out of the blue. And, and it was like, and we went to, uh, um, uh, what, what do you call, uh, 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 the bad kids, what do you call it? Um, anyway, where the bad kids go, like not jail, but juvenile, okay, Juvie, Juvie Hall, all right, thanks, thanks, Lord. Uh, <laughs> and, and, I got to, and, and I got to see him pray for these kids, and I got to see these kids' lives turned around, and, and I started to get hungry to, to know more about Jesus, and, and, and I go to church, and there's worship, and I start crying, and within a year, I'm leading worship in front of a thousand people, and for 40 years, I've continued to lead worship, but it all goes back to that one moment with Jesus on the mountain 
That changed my life. One moment. So if you need to be set free, or if you know somebody who needs, who needs to be set free from the burden of their past, if, if there's a sin maybe that, that we're still struggling with, if, if there's a new season of hope we need, a new season of purpose, and, and, and we want that answer from God, if, if we've been crippled by fear or failure or anxiety, or if, if we're ready to stand up and walk, and we need God's help to bring healing and freedom, then we just need to have that moment with Jesus. We need to ask him for the help we need, for the strength, for the healing. Whatever it is that we need, we need to find that moment with Jesus. And there can be many moments, guys. It's not just a one-time thing. We all need moments with Jesus that changes our life for the better. Hebrews 4.16 said, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive that moment with Jesus. And we can find those moments through worship, which we're going to do here in a minute, through, through prayer. We can take the time to, th to thank Jesus for, for the times that he has stepped into our life and, and has those times that he's come into our life and helped us stand, those times that he's come to help us walk. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to make us sensitive to the Lord's voice so that we can hear his guidance, so we can hear his direction, that we can hear the steps that he wants us to take. And then finally, we need to trust in this one last truth. And I'll have the worship team come on up. And it's John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Let's go ahead and stand for a minute while they're coming up. And if you're battling with anything, any of these things, and you just need help, maybe you, you need freedom from this old wound or whatever, say this, this John 8, 36, but I want you to say it this way, if the Son has set me free, then I am free indeed. Let's say that together. If the Son has set me free, that I'm, then I am free indeed. Amen? Do you believe that? That's why Jesus came, to set us all free. From, the, the, from sickness, from sin, from death, from hurt, from failure, whatever it is, that's why he came. Because that's how much he loves us. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up, lift up my heart.